Grace on Fire, episode 88. Warning. Warning. Religious people may get offended. Listening discretion is advised. Go to MyGraceNation.com for safe listening instructions. What's up, Grace Nation? Welcome back to another show. I'm super excited to be leading the revolution here on the podcast, giving voice to those who need the voice. Grab your coffee, grab your lattes, let's do it. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Smitty, a.k.a. the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, and I am your online pastor. And my goal is to raise ambassadors of grace by changing the way evangelicals love LGBTQ people and families. And on today's show, I've, I have a very special guest here with me uh, by the name of Bridget Eileen, who is a celibate lesbian Christian. And she blogs about her experience at the Meditations of a Traveling Nun. You can go to meditationsofatravelingnun.com or you can jet over to MyGraceNation.com and uh, their episode, MyGraceNation.com forward slash GOF88, and you'll find uh, the show notes and the URL there. Um, personally, I just got to tell you, I find Bridget's writing to be absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because I'm just looking for someone who agrees with what I have to say. The truth be told, let me tell you how I discovered Bridget. Um, I was in my mastermind group, and um, one of the guys in the mastermind group said, hey, Jonathan, have you heard of this person? I just came across this link in my Twitter account, and uh, I went over to this site, and this young lady has really good things to say and seems to be theologically uh, thoughtful in her approach. And I said, wow, really? Okay. Well, you know, I went over there, took a look at it, and I was just blown away. I was just blown away. I was so enthusiastic about what I was reading. And so um, I reached out to Bridget. I said, hey, Bridget, um, you don't know me um, at all, and uh, but this is what I do. I'd love to have you on the show. I actually didn't think she would say yes. I thought, you know, she's probably not going to say yes. And she said yes. I was like, oh my gosh. So it was just a, a real honor for me to have Bridget on the show. Um, and you could just tell how much uh, and how, uh, let's just say it this way, how much respect for uh, Bridget and her approach and what she's doing. She's a new up and coming young woman who really is taking on the culture in some ways that I think is good. And not just the, the general culture, but the culture of the church. And um, what we did was we sat down on a Saturday morning, and uh, we just had a little conversation. And so uh, let's get into our feature download of the week, because I think that you're going to find this to be a really, really great conversation. You know, here's the deal. When conservative Christians hear the word lesbian Christian for the very first time, I think some react out of fear because of their biases. But for you, it seems to be a source of pride. Can, can you help us understand how this is a source of pride for you? Well, I think that's, you know, an interesting uh, idea, the idea of 
pride. And I definitely don't think uh, in terms of pride of my sexuality. Um, that's not something that I take pride in. I hope nobody takes pride in their sexuality um, or anything like that. Um, but I take pride in the gospel and uh, the way that the gospel redeems fallen people. And I think one of the, I guess, kind of overarching um, stories that we see in the Bible is just this idea that the, the gospel redeems people that maybe you would never think would ever be redeemed. Um, and God, God delights in saving unlikely people. And uh, I think we see that in the Bible time and time again. Um, and I think we see that kind of in the story of uh, Rahab the, the harlot, where the story of her being saved is uh, made all the more extraordinary by the fact that she is uh, identified in scripture as being a harlot, someone that you would never think of uh, being favored by God, someone that most people would think is being outside of God's grace. And I think many people today think of uh, gays and lesbians as being outside of God's grace, as being unlikely to... Uh, be Christians, um, unlikely to submit themselves to the historic understanding of sexual ethics in the Bible. Um, most people just don't associate those two together, um, but that's what makes the association so strong. When you find a lesbian who is a Christian who does submit her sexuality to the historic understanding of sexual ethics in the Bible, um, that's phenomenal. Um, and that's the gospel on display because uh, Jesus delights in saving people that uh, we wouldn't necessarily think of when we think of someone who is saved, when we think of someone who is a Christian. But that's the gospel, um, and that's what the gospel is about. You know, Bridget, I, I have to, so I'm going to say this. Right now, I would just like to end the show. That's right. Everyone with Grace Nation, that's all you need to hear right there. And, and <laughs> Because you're absolutely right. You've summarized beautifully exactly everything. It's the gospel. You can have pride in the gospel because what the gospel is doing. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I get excited because I'm, I consider myself a gospel preacher, and you, and it's, it just thrills me to hear you make connections in mm -hmm. ways that are so fresh that you, yeah. as you can say, yes, I can have pride as a le lesbian Christian because of the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. And, yeah. and so what I want to do, though, today is because I know your journey and the journey that you've come from. Uh, is a remarkable journey, and I want to get into your story. And I, and I think that the way that I want to introduce the story to you is why and and how did you come to this place where you identify as a lesbian Christian, and and what does that mean to you? Well, it was uh, definitely a journey, um, and I definitely want to you know put the caveat on there that when uh, I say that I'm a lesbian, for me that it's not a source of my ultimate identity. I don't see lesbian as being an identity in the sense of it's who I am. Um, and that can sometimes be a misunderstanding. I primarily use the word lesbian as a descriptor for myself because it's a helpful way to allow people to get to know a part of my experience and to understand me. And uh, really the only way that you can get to know people is if you understand the particulars of their experience. And so um, I describe myself in that way because <clears throat> it's helpful in order to help people get to, get to know 
get to know me as a person. But um, in terms of just coming to a place where I'm comfortable with describing myself as a lesbian, um, it it was a journey. And I definitely went through a, a period where I was afraid to acknowledge that I had attractions at all. And uh, I was afraid to even admit that they were present. Um, and I, I kind of, I guess, began in a place of thinking that these are things that I just, I need to deny. <clears throat> I need to pretend that they're not there. And I need to find a guy that I'm attracted to. And that's kind of where I was for um, a good period of time for a lot of my college experience. I was in that place of, um, I just need to, you know, deny this, ignore it. It's not real. Um, and uh, that wasn't healthy for me because uh, it was not allowing me to really begin to come to terms with what God may uniquely be calling me to in my life. Um, and I was so set on this idea that I needed to find a guy to, uh, that I could be attracted to in order to marry, um, in order to become a wife and mom, which is kind of the, you know, perennial stereotype of what a godly woman, you know, should want out of life. And I was so set on making that happen that um, I wasn't leaning into the reality of my experience and the fact that maybe God had given me a different calling on my life. Um, and so when I finally got to a place of really being honest with my attractions, that was when I really began thinking, okay, maybe this stereotypical idea of what uh, my life ought to look like in order to be a godly woman um, is not for me. Maybe God has called me to live a different life that is just as beautiful um, and just as life-giving. Um, and so for me, coming to a place where I was comfortable acknowledging my attractions and not just acknowledging them, but naming them uh, helped me to begin really parsing out what is God's calling upon my life? Uh, what kind of life is he calling me to live? As opposed to just trying to pursue the life that I thought I was, other people wanted me to live. So let me ask you this question, because you mentioned this, uh, and you said this early on, you said that you were at a place that was not healthy for you. What was unhealthy about it? I think, I think what was unhealthy about it is that I was trying to uh, live into an experience that wasn't mine. I was trying to live a life that wasn't mine to live. And in not being honest with myself about my attractions and about my experience with sexuality, I was not being honest about what God could be calling me to that was different than the average Christian woman. Um, and uh, it really brought me kind of into this downward spiral of darkness where I was trying to live into this life that I honestly wasn't made for. I wasn't built for this life of, of, of marriage to a man um, and, you know, romantic relationships with a man. I wasn't built for that. I'm, that's not what God was calling me to. But in trying to live into that, um, I was really just causing so much angst in my life. And for me, it brought me into a place where I was like having nightmares 
on a nightly basis where I would have this recurring dream that I was walking down the aisle and it was kind of one of those things where you're like watching, it's like one of those dreams where you're watching yourself from above and you see yourself down below. And like, there I was all done up in a wedding gown and I'm walking down the aisle towards my husband-to-be at the end. And I cannot tell you how terrifying this nightmare was. And I would have this nightly and I would see myself walking down the aisle and panic would just like well up inside of me. And like in the dream, I would just be shouting at myself like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. I haven't decided that I want that yet. And I would just be shouting at myself, trying to keep myself from doing what I saw myself doing, which was getting married. Um, And I would like wake up all of a sudden, like just sweaty and just heart racing, heart pounding. Um, And uh, that was a when uh, after experiencing that enough times, that was when I realized like I am trying to live into a life that God has not given me. And if I try to do that, it's only going to produce pain and, and sorrow in my life. And I really need to start thinking about what life has God given me to live um, because that life is uh, the life that is going to bring joy Um, the life that he's given me to live, Um, not some life that I think I should be pursuing because of the culture and the church telling me that this is what a godly woman should do. Um, What, what is God telling me that I should do with my life? And when I finally started really pursuing his will for my life, that gave me so much freedom um, to no longer be trying to live into something that I wasn't made for. Well, Bridget, let me, let me just, first of all, say thank you for sharing that. I mean, that was, that's a remarkable story and, and you shared that in such an honest way. It, but I think that the refreshing thing here for people who would listen to your story is to say that here you were experiencing this, the, this palatable symptoms, nightmares, anxieties, fears that were, that almost served as a signal to you deep mm-hmm. down inside. Uh, we could even use the word subconscious, just simply your spirit saying, this is not right. And yet you were feeling this, I, I would I'd like, dare say, call it cultural forces, but maybe we could call it church cultural forces that were saying, no, this was the life that you should have. And yet you were thinking, no, but I'm feeling this going somewhere else. And so to have the bravery to be able to say, no, this is the direction I need to go. What was it like for you when you began to first step and walk into this journey? It was terrifying. Because uh, I didn't know what the journey was going to look like. Um, I didn't know anyone who uh, was pursuing a way of life um, that was different than the norm, that submitted to the biblical understanding of sexual ethics, um, and uh, was gay and was nevertheless just trusting God with that. Um, I didn't know anyone personally. Um, and so it was terrifying because it was uh, really taking a leap of faith. <clears throat> I was really stepping into the dark and just holding on to the hand of my savior and just trusting that he was going to lead me. And, uh, but at the same time, I found so much peace in that too. Um, 
I had been for the longest time so afraid of letting go of this pursuit of what stereotypical womanhood ought to look like because that that was the known even though it's not what I wanted for my life and I didn't feel comfortable pursuing that, I didn't feel called to get married, at least I knew what was involved in that. Um, at least I knew that if I pursued that direction, um, I knew uh, I could have you know, a good idea of what to expect my life would look like you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, because so many people have done it. There's you know, you know, whole books written about it, um, but in the other direction, living a life unmarried um, and uh, committing to a lifetime of celibacy, there's not a whole lot of support for that in our culture. There's not very many models or examples for that. And uh, honestly, I was really taking it in faith that God was going to lead me in this and that this life was going to be good because I was, I was trusting what I saw the Bible saying, which is that you don't need to have a sexual relationship. You don't need to be married in order to have a full life. And uh, I was really taking the Bible at its word when uh, Paul says that the, the celibate life is preferable. Um, and, and, even more desirable than marriage. Um, and so I was taking that just on faith and just saying, okay, God, you say this in your word. I don't really have any models in my life for what this life is going to look like. I don't have uh, any idea how even I'm going to live this life, how I'm even going to make it work, but I trust you and I'm going to follow you. And uh, I know that you're going to hold my hand through this. And so it was at once terrifying, but also like liberating. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm really stepping into this and I'm really going to follow the Lord. I, I, I think it's beautiful. I love the way that you've, you've, you've created this because in, in so many ways, we started this conversation off with why is, where, where, where's the source of pride coming from? And then you answer the gospel. Then we talked about your identity as a lesbian Christian. And now we've been talking about this journey into celibacy and what that meant for you. You know, I think that there are people out there, um, uh, gay people who would listen to your story and they say, you know, come on, celibacy, really? Is that the only option here that I have? How do you respond? I understand where they're coming from. Um, Culture is at a moment where celibacy is really unthinkable, um, both within and outside of the church. People don't view celibacy as a livable life. Um, there's this mentality that um, we're not made to be celibate, that we need to have a sexual relationship in order to be fulfilled. Um, a lot of Freudian thinking has infiltrated the assumptions with which we approach our lives. And uh, we just assume that we need to have sex in order to find fulfillment in this life. And uh, so uh, when I speak to people, um, and really, I mean, whether, whether they're gay or straight, um, I want to challenge that assumption. Do you, do you really want to say that sex is necessary in order to be happy? Um, do you really think that's a healthy mindset? Um, do you, 
do you really believe that? Um, and maybe they do. And if they do, then they have every right to believe that. But I think there's a much to be concerned about in assuming that we have to have sex in order to have a happy life. And so uh, my life is being lived under the assumption that I don't need that, um, that there's more to life than uh, just having sex and uh, that the things that I need in life go, go beyond sexual relationships. And in scripture, we see modeled for us in Jesus Christ, uh, a man who was a perfect human being who uh, never had sex, never had any sort of sexual relationship with anyone. And yet he was perfect. And so if we want to say that you need to have a sexual relationship in order to be fulfilled as a human being, then what you're saying is that Jesus Christ himself was not fulfilled and that to me strikes as just a tad bit heretical. And so I don't accept that. And so now, obviously, if I'm talking to someone who's not a Christian, that's not going to be as uh, compelling to them. But within Christian circles, um, I think that is very compelling to consider. No, I, I agree with you. I think that that's, <laughs> when I heard you make the argument, I said, well, that's the most compelling argument there is. Um, <laughs> I mean, you just you just eliminated that. Well, Jesus didn't have sex, right? And um, uh -huh. there's no evidence of that whatsoever. And then it's heretical to say that he wasn't fully human. Um, mm -hmm. So you're right. Again, so Bridget, we could just em uh, eliminate in the show right here, but there's just so much more that we need to do. And, I, and I, this is one of the most compelling things that I've seen about you. And uh, there's, a, there's a phrase, and we started off before we uh, started the show, we were having a conversation about a blog that you've written. And um, your blog, before we actually get into this, what was the motivation for the blog? Mm. Well, the motivation behind the blog was, I guess, twofold. One, I was getting a little bit exhausted with <clears throat> needing to defend constantly what I believe regarding sexuality and constantly needing to clarify with people um, all the time. And I was finding myself in a position where people were even gossiping about me and saying things behind my back mm. that were just unkind. And uh, I decided that I needed to find a way in order to, I guess, clear the air about where I actually stand on these things. Um, otherwise, uh, people could say whatever they wanted to say. And uh, I would have uh, very little power to um, speak into that because I can't talk to every single person that knows me and is in my life. And so it was, it, writing the blog kind of was born out of, I guess, survival, just needing to clarify where I stand on things for my own sake to avoid uh, some of the challenges that I was facing and the assumptions that people were making about me. And uh, then the other thing, and this was probably the thing that kind of tipped me over the edge and really made me do it was the fact that there are just not very many female writers that are writing on the topic of sexuality from the historic biblical sexual ethic. There's not many of us that are out there. And so I thought, well, maybe, uh, I could contribute something to this discussion. Maybe I could bless 
other women that are out there that are in similar places as I am, because I uh, myself would uh, really appreciate to see more women talking on this topic. And it's always an encouragement to me when I see other female writers talking on this topic. And so I thought, well, maybe I can bless other people. Um, I can, you know, protect myself and clarify my own positions and maybe I can bless a few others. And so that was really what it came out of. Well, kudos to your blog. Um, I, I was talking to you before we started and um, I, I said to you that this the, the quality of your writing is, is just amazing. So for those of you who are listening to the show and you're interested, I would definitely steer you towards this blog to read. It, it is truly, truly outstanding. But I, I want to back up here, Bridget, before we actually get into some of the content articles that you've written, because yeah. you said something that I can relate to. So can I share with you a little bit about my own story? Um, yeah. When I began to write on the subject of, of well, back then, and we called it homosexuality, right? You know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, here I am, the evangelical straight guy trying to make sense of all this. But when mm-hmm. I began to write on LGBT issues, and I began my doctoral work, um, I, I, the exact same thing happened to me. Uh, people began to think that this was my own coming out story, that this was my way of coming out of the closet, and I had something to share. And the truth is, is it wasn't. It, it was mm-hmm. really a genuine missional desire to say, this is a huge issue. I'm not convinced that, that we have the answers and I want to, I want to go into this, but there was lots of hurtful things that were said about me. Mm. And, um, you know, there was, there was the, the, the sneers and the snarling and, and the things like that. And I too felt the compelling, uh, or the compulsion to write, but I, you know, honestly, it was very difficult to do that. Um, so it, it takes amount, uh, it takes a moment of kind of courage for two reasons. One is because you're writing from the side B. We haven't just actually talked about side B. Side B just simply means maintaining the traditional biblical ethic of sexuality. But you're writing this from a lesbian point of view. And in our culture today, that is just completely shunned. That There's, there's folks that do not want to acknowledge that that can be true. Yeah. And so I myself, just being an evangelical pastor who would also hold to that ethic, Trying to write into that, I just come across as a hater, which is mm-hmm. not true at all. Have you experienced those kinds of things as well? Yeah, there's a tremendous pressure on both sides yeah. from, you know, the conservative camp as well as the liberal camp. Um, in the liberal camp, I'm a self-hating gay woman who has sold the farm to evangelicals and uh, on the in the conservative camp, I'm, you know, this liberal progressive who's trying to infiltrate the church for, you know, to, you know, deceive them by queer thinking. Um, and so, you know, there's tremendous pressure on both sides. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of right here kind of, you know, being pulled by both sides of it, just kind of saying, um, this is my experience and uh, this is the way that the gospel sheds light upon my experience. And I'm just here to talk about um, the way that the gospel redeems me and redeems all people. And, uh, you know, that's really what I want to lean into is what the Bible says, Um, not what this camp says and what this camp says, but what, what is the Bible saying to us? And that's very powerful because I think that when the way that you described it, the binary there is perfect. You know, a self-hating lesbian woman uh, who's, you know, sold the farm to evangelicals versus the, you know, progressive um, liberal who's trying to infiltrate the church. And it's amazing that we have to operate in that binary. 
Yeah. As if that was the binary that the Bible presents, because that's not the binary that the Bible presents at all. As you put in your blog post, we're going to get into it right now. You you talked about in this wonderful blog, and and honestly, we should talk, we should just like go four hours on this, but we don't have time today. But you've written this wonderful, wonderful series uh, this month called Celibate Gay Pride, which... I I haven't been able to go through all of it because uh, first of all I just love the fact that you use the word pride and we talked about pride pride in the gospel early which I loved that but there was something that you said which I said to you before we started the show which to me was the most compelling line here and what you said was this you, you you've talked about that um, and it's under this section called God's glory displayed through unlikely people. Mm-hmm. And you, you talked about these observations, the observations being critical to understanding the LGBT experience as a conduit for God's grace. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is the question. Okay. When someone reads this line, I they automatically, at least I can imagine that they would automatically presuppose, oh, she's talking about her sexual experience as a conduit for God's grace. But I don't think that's what you're talking about here. No. What are you talking about? Well, one of the things that I tried to communicate in every post in that series was this idea that to experience an LGBT plus orientation um, is not just, it's not just a sexual experience. And there's, you know, a lots, lots of stereotypes around in the gay community, um, both outside of the church and within the church that try to sexualize us to uh, um, an incredible degree. But our experience is more than just an experience of sexual attraction. Um, There's so much more to my experience as a lesbian woman than just my desire for sex. And I think people understand this intuitively, but maybe don't really admit it or talk about it. Um, just in the fact that a lot of people are able to kind of tell when someone's gay, um, just by looking at them. Um, they don't know anything about their sexual lives, but, um, their manner of speaking, their, their manner of dress, their, you know, personality or, you know, the, their body language communicates to, them, oh, this person has to be gay. So what, what is it that is setting off your gaydar, for lack of a better word? You don't know anything about this person's sexual life at all, and yet you're still thinking, oh, that person's gay. Um, and so people kind of intuitively have this assumption that there's more to the gay experience than just your sexual life, but nevertheless, still people love to sexualize the LGBT experience. And um, so when I talk about the LGBT plus experience as being a conduit for God's grace, um, I'm talking about so much more than just my sexual attractions. Um, there's, there's so much more to my experience as a lesbian woman than just my experience of sex. And really I experience um, as a, as a lesbian, um, I primarily experience my orientation um, as just a desire for intimate relationships with women. Um, And that really has nothing to do with sex. And yes, sex can come in as a factor within that, but not primarily. Primarily, it's just a desire for relationship, a desire to, to love and relate and to know and be known. And uh, that's, 
not primarily about sex and I don't primarily experience that as sexual. The sexual piece is part of it, but that's not the primary motivating factor for me. I, I think then I can, I can help in this. Let me give you a, a quick story. So I was talking with my bishop, who I, I dearly love, and uh, he's a very godly man. Um, and I was sharing with him in the mission of Grace Nation, what we're trying to do here in Central Florida of loving LGBT people and families. And uh, the response came back. He says, well, when you're dealing with people with sexual brokenness, and, and, I, and when he said that, I wanted to reach through my phone and strangle his neck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and, and, and I won't mention his name because I, I, I love him too much and I have such respect, but I'm like, no, you don't get it. You're, <laughs> you don't even understand. In fact, it's, what's interesting is I, I will interact with, um, with, with young people and very often they've never even had sex. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is not about uh, sex and sexuality. It's so much more. And what I found is, is when um, working with them where we can just simply say, hey, this is who I am. This is my identity. This, this, you know, whether they refer themselves as a gay Christian or, or just simply something else as gay, there seems to be a release that mm-hmm. takes place, and 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 then we can have a conversation about what God's doing in them. But as soon as that release takes place and, and they feel a sense of peace, I've seen this happen. That's why yeah. this line is so important. Yeah, because it's so important to release what I see. Um, and I'm talking about Christians right now, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- with gay Christians, it seems to be so important to release the tension that says it's just about sex, because as you said, there's so much more to yeah. it in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, what he said about like, okay, when you're dealing with people who are struggling with sexual brokenness, um, to me, every person that we deal with is struggling with sexual brokenness. Absolutely. We so often, um, we so often define LGBT people by their sexual brokenness, but we don't define anyone else in that way. And uh, I think the Bible says uh, we all suffer from brokenness. All of our sexualities are broken. And so uh, to single out LGBT people as uh, in particular sexually broken um, is not helpful. And, and I do agree with that. And I think that if, if for, for any other point that's made today, if that message can be clearly communicated, it, it is so time for the church to recognize this. Uh, yeah. Far too often we have limited this conversation um, to the narrow aspects that we've talked about today, and, and I think it's just unfair. And, and this actually comes up to another point that you've made here. Uh, and the point here... Um, you, you you say it's also critical to see the struggle and mar- marginalization that LGBT plus Christians face. Mm-hmm. I've seen this as well. What has your experience been? What compelled me to write that line that the LGBT plus experience is a conduit for God's grace is really the fact that that's been my experience. I would not have the... Uh, strong, vibrant relationship with the Lord that I have right now, if I hadn't been a lesbian, um, God has used my experience as a lesbian to draw me to himself um, and to strengthen my relationship with him in incredible ways, as well as to uh, draw other people to himself. Um, There are people that I know whose names are written in the book of life because uh, they develop a relationship and because as a lesbian I was able to speak into their lives in ways that 
other people couldn't. And uh, so uh, that's incredible that there are people who I will spend eternity with um, that God drew me, that God drew to himself um, as a result of, of me being a queer woman. And so that has been incredible to see, not only the fact that God has used my experience, my experience as a gay woman to draw me closer to himself, but to also draw others closer to himself. And so that was primarily what was on my mind when I wrote that line. Well, I, and I, I think though, then you follow it up here because the follow-up to this then goes into this next line where you talk about it's critical to see the struggle and mar- marginalization that mm-hmm. LGBT plus Christians face. Do yeah. you feel marginalized by the church? Yes, I do feel marginalized and I have absolutely experienced marginalization in the church. And I don't really want to go into details about what that's been like for me because uh, I want to be careful in uh, not, not putting people down or um, hurting people that maybe didn't even realize what they were doing at the time. And um, I don't want to stir up division or anything like that, but it is uh, something that I have experienced and uh, has caused me hurt um, and a great deal of pain in my life. And it's been something that um, I've needed to wrestle with on a regular basis um, and bring to the Lord regularly um, in order to uh, protect myself from experiencing harm all the time from this. So yeah, it is something that I've experienced. I'm reminded of Jesus words when, um, uh, when actually Jesus was, was, was constantly marginalized as well by the Pharisees. Uh, They accused him of hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And it's remarkable that it, that becomes the entry point that we all as broken people can enter into and say, Hey, the, the, the same kind of marginalization that was happening to us happens to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it, again, it's another entry point of saying, yes, this is what Jesus experienced. So we can also come to expect it, but isn't it fair to say that so often that what happens is, is that because of biases, as well as a lack of education, a lack of awareness, that's also mm-hmm. contributing uh, to the marginalization that's occurring. I, I, I find that when I sit down with, you know, good, uh, godly Christians who have been married a long time and, and they've, they've been, they've gone through the cultural wars, they're probably a little older. They don't really know. They, they don't even realize that they're being hurtful. They're trying to be helpful, they're, but they're actually yeah. coming across as being hurtful. Would, would you extend that grace to them in that way? Like the grace to recognize where, in the midst yeah. of, their under, of their misunderstandings and ignorance. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, it's something that I do on a regular basis mm. and uh, I'm not sure whether everyone is uh, built for doing something like that. Like in some ways as a gay person, you do need to exercise self-care and exiting from relationships that just may maybe causing you um, mental anguish and and hurt and um, that to persevere in um, are just unhealthy for you um, and so you know I would definitely encourage you know people to really prioritize their emotional health um, if you know there's people that are unhealthy you know really take stock is this someone that you know God is calling me to persevere with 
or, you know, do I maybe need to step away for a time um, in order to protect myself? But I mean, I regularly run into people, um, even people that I know and, you know, love and care about um, that say things that are hurtful. Um, You know, I've had people say things to me that, you know, that are under the assumption that, gay desires are given to gay people, um, as a result of God's judgment to them. Um, and, Mm. you know, saying, you know, assuming that, that the, to experience attraction, to experience this orientation is an automatic result of sin in your life. And, um, those things are hurtful. They don't realize that those things are hurtful, but they are, um, you know, people, just saying things that are coming from a place of ignorance because they don't understand and they need to be educated. Um, and uh, so I frequently find myself in a place where I'm extending grace to people and uh, extending forgiveness to people um, and trying to meet them where they're at in uh, this journey of coming to understand. Um, but because uh, I, I recognize that everybody's in a different place and uh, in order to get to a place of awareness, in order to get to a place of understanding, sometimes you really do have to start from your place of ignorance. Um, and so, you know, I frequently find myself in that place with people. I find, though, that you, you have an incredible strength, um, Bridget, that is, is, is self-evident. That as, as you've gone through this, there's a strengthening that does take place. And I applaud you for the being willing to, to give that grace to people um, as, as you continue in your life. You know, to, to get back to the blog that you've written here, because I think it's so important, and it ties right into this, you write in the next section here, ultimately, LGBT people have something incredible to celebrate when they enter the kingdom of God. The badge of shame known as queer sexuality, one of the single greatest sources of condemnation in the church today, now becomes a badge of honor to the glory of God, our Savior. I loved mm-hmm. I loved how you, how you brought this together, but mm-hmm. I also want to acknowledge what do you mean by queer sexuality? You mm-hmm. actually referred to yourself as a queer woman just a little ago, a, a little while ago. We didn't actually use this term. What do you mean by that? Um, when I use the word queer, I often use it as an umbrella term for a non-straight experience. And so uh, in talking about queer sexuality, I'm trying to use that as an inclusive term, which you know refers to anything that is just not straight, Um, anything that is just not the typical heterosexual experience. And so that's kind of how I use the term. And so when I think about that as uh, being turned on its head from the source of condemnation in the church to being a badge of honor, I'm, I'm using that in the sense of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And in queerness, queerness, and when I say that, I'm, I'm meaning just a non-street experience is just universally within the church really viewed as a, as a weakness, um, as a source of shame um, and, and a source of sin. That's just kind of the overarching viewpoint that so many people hold. Um, but when we come to Christ, when we are redeemed, the things that made us most unlikely to be saved are what give the gospel its greatest glory. 
because that's what the gospel is about. And so uh, when Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. uh, When I live out a life of faithfulness to the traditional sexual ethic as a queer woman, that shines a light on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in my life in a way that would, that wouldn't happen if I were a straight woman. The fact that I am a queer woman brings glory to God by shining light on something beautiful about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in my life. Um, and that is beautiful. And that's what we boast in. We boast in the power of Christ. Um, we don't, boast in our sexuality, we boast in the gospel as it's revealed through our sexuality. Bridget, as we close this interview, I, uh, I want to say a few affirming things. First of all, um, I, I am amazed to see how you have integrated into your life the gospel, and it is, it's such a testimony to the power of Christ working in you. And so I want to affirm that and to say that it's amazing to see you do that. The second thing I want to affirm, and that's for people that are you know listening to the show, I want to highly again recommend that you visit Bridget's blog to read through this and to read this with an open mind. Because if you can't walk away refreshed in the gospel, I then you know then we need to talk about the gospel again. Um, <laughs> because I'm telling you that this this blog here has been. It, it, I read it and I and I just get excited and I get as a you know heterosexual straight guy you know, from the South of all places, who was raised in evangelical and, you know, suburbia. So, I, mean, I have everything going against me, Bridget. So I'm trying so hard, right? I, I try so hard. But um, but, but to see this, it's just so refreshing. I, I want to ask you just a final question. What can the church do better to open its doors to LGBT Christians? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, to... Uh, shift the way that we talk about homosexuality from a a theology of no to a theology of yes. Um, So much of what we tell gay people in the church centers upon what they're not allowed to do. No, 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 don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Um, And uh, a theology of no is really no theology at all. How are you supposed to live with just a list of all the things that you're not allowed to live? And uh, so uh, I think we really need to shift the conversation from what is not allowed to what is allowed. Um, What life are we inviting queer people into when we invite them into Christ? Um, Because we are inviting them into something that's beautiful, that uh, that is full that is joyful. And uh, what does that look like? We need to have a positive vision for what an LGBT plus person is living into when they live into Christ, not a negative one. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing that I think can be shifted in Christian conversations within the church and how we approach LGBT plus people. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been my pleasure to have you here on Grace on Fire. Um, Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.
for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit mygracenation.com.